Last week I had stress of treat, I wasn't able to give away to a homily. Today I'm not doing the homily at all. Uh, one of the fathers of our church, uh, one of the reasons we are here today, uh, he's cre- he created this mess. So we blame you. Brother John, uh, in my memory, Jan and I were struggling uh, trying to find our way in this life um, in uh, the summer of 1971. And I remember going to a meeting, seeing this man walk in uh, with his voice all around me. I had two little boys then. I said, you know, I think I want to get to know that guy. I had two little ones and I needed the help. And he came in in, in paint, painting clothes, he had paint on his shoes. <laughs> like he's at a church meeting and he's got paint all over him. I said, Who is this guy? <laughs> he actually started a painting company with Dean Bruner. And the rest was his. But uh, I remember the, just his countenance, his presence was such a powerful thing that it drew my wife and I to stay and commit ourselves to that group of people which is this group. That happened in 1971. And the power of certain men is incredible. Father John had a charisma, a gift from God that drew people to what I believe was a journey to the truth. And uh, and all along the way, there were moments where you had to decide, am I going to keep following him? <laughs> because it did, sometimes it looked a little crazy. In fact, a lot of times it looked a little crazy. But to put our trust in Father John, Father Richard, Father Jack, Father Peter, and Father Gordon was critical to the journey of a group of people, 2,000 people, into the Orthodox faith. Uh, but Father John played a critical role, uh, not only in that journey, but in my life and in the life of this parish. So it's an honor every time he comes, and a greater honor when he's able to share Well, thank you, Father, uh, Father Nicholas and uh, Father John Stephen, wherever you disappeared to. You must be somewhere, Father John Carrillo. <laughs> Beloved deacons, <laughs> Father Peter, and uh, oh, some of you have been my friends for such a long time, huh? You made me cry. Uh, there's, I realized last night at Vespers, my goodness, there's an awful lot of you I don't know. And uh, the other side of that's pretty good. It's a good thing that a lot of you don't know me, because Father Nicholas is correct. Uh, it was nice that he named all those names because uh, I would not want anyone to follow me, but I think it was a good thing to follow the five of us or six of us or seven of us. We dropped a few along the way. But it's always just really great to come back here. Uh, see, I know this place. Uh, we, used to, we used to get together up here. None of that was there. We, this room was really screwed up, and uh, I had... a. I tore a lot of stuff. Not only that paint clothes on, I had carpenter clothes on and did a lot of messing around in this building. You know, I, I heard I heard one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. I mean, 
it is just ridiculous. I heard about a group of people who were out on a, on a long hike. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, this is, I'm embarrassed to even tell you about this. Uh, but, I, but I read it. And, and they, uh, they were thirsty. I mean, they were about to, they, they were about to die of thirst. They were in a, it was in a desert, and they were out there, and they were about to die. And, and this guy, who was their leader, takes a chunk of wood, and they come upon this, this pool of water, but the, wa- the, the water is brackish. It's no good, and these, these people are, oh, everything's bad. And so their leader takes this chunk of wood, and he throws it in the water, and the water becomes sweet. Have you ever heard anything so stupid? I mean, that's ridiculous. Do you, do you believe that's possible? I mean, come on. Be serious with me. If you read that in the news press, would you believe it? I wouldn't. I would not believe it. But that's what happened, isn't it, in the wilderness with Moses and the children of Israel? A piece of wood tossed in to a pool of brackish water suddenly makes the water sweet. Oh, now, if you think that's bad, if you think that's bad, can you imagine? You're a part of this huge group of people. And, I mean, we're talking about mega amounts of people. And all of a sudden, there are a bunch of snakes. I mean, like, mooey, mooey snakes. And they are climbing all over the place. And these snakes, if they bite you, you croak. You die. Well, now that's a bad thing to happen. And so this also happened with the children of Israel. And here they are. They're out in the wilderness. And they're called, they're called fiery snakes. Well, how would you like to be confronted with a whole bunch of, uh, of fiery snakes? Well, the people started moaning and groaning and complaining because their lives were being threatened. So Moses, at the Lord's command, makes a brass snake. And he puts it on a pole and he holds the thing up. I mean, this is ludicrous. (laughs) I mean, how can anything be so silly? Because if you got bit by one of those fiery snakes in the ground, all you had to do was to look at this snake that the guy had on the pole. And you were okay. Can you imagine it? Just looking at a snake could make you well. I mean, a brass a brass snake. Now, you know, the truth is, that's the one mistake in the whole Bible. It shouldn't have been a brass snake it should have been a bronze snake. (laughs) Oh, you're not all that sharp this morning. Some of you are still asleep. (laughs) A brass snake and a chunk of wood. Why did I choose these two pieces this morning for this homily? Because those are are two of the major types that are used in the New Testament, types from the Old Testament that are used in the New of the cross. The cross is something today, you you know, there would be people who would walk in here today and say, what on earth are you doing adoring a cross? You're supposed to adore Jesus, not the cross. Oh no, we adore Jesus and we adore his cross. Why? 
because Jesus has the power, but because of Jesus, He made the cross have power. A chunk of wood made water sweet, didn't it? People got healed looking at a brass snake, didn't they? Well, if people could, if water could be made sweet with a chunk of wood, and if people could be healed looking at a brass snake, people can be saved by looking at a cross, by adoring a cross. Now, I think about this a lot. Uh, I'm not being funny now. This is, this, it, it, I don't intend to be facetious. What if Jesus had been beheaded with a sword like John the Baptist? What would be the symbol of Christianity, perhaps? What if Jesus had been beheaded like John the Baptist? What might have been the symbol? How many of you were wearing a cross around your neck today? Let me see. How many of you were wearing a cross? If Jesus had been beheaded with a sword, what might you be wearing today? You might be wearing a sword. I was thinking as I was preparing for this day, now, it would have been impossible, but what if he'd been shot? What might you have been wearing? He might have been wearing a gun. <laughs> but because he was crucified on a cross, you're wearing a cross. Why do you wear the cross? Because the cross just isn't a symbol. It's a symbol with power. I was thinking every time, you know, I don't know how many homilies I've done on the cross. I mean, it's just a whole lot. When we do twice a year anyway, uh, since we've been in the Orthodox Church, but I preached a lot of sermons on the cross. And every time I do, I recall the memory of my childhood having sung hundreds of times. That's not an exaggeration. Hundreds of times on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. We sang that song hundreds of times. Some, sometimes it would be Sunday after Sunday after Sunday because that was, the, that was the people's choice. You know, it could have been written this way. should have been written this way. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the icon of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross. You know, I didn't understand the next line for many, many years. I love that old cross for the dearest and best, for the world of lost sinners was slain. I didn't understand the dearest and best. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. He's the dearest and best. The dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Now, even then, we sang at the Knox Presbyterian Church in Berkeley. Even then we sang, So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Can you imagine it? A group of Protestant Presbyterians singing, I'll cherish a thing. I'll cherish the old rugged cross. A few of you I've done marriage counseling for, pre-marriage counseling, because whenever I do, I take uh, a, a word out of the service, and the word is to cherish, and I try to explain to prospective husbands what it means to cherish something, doesn't mean just honor. It goes way beyond honor. And there's certain things we can honor, but, not, but cherish, that's, a, that's another level up. So we cherish the cross. So that's what we're here today for. We're here to, uh, to adore. How do, that's a powerful expression, to adore the cross. Why? Because there's power in the cross. Power, as we sang 
in the uh, in matins as we sang because the blood and water of the Lord is on the cross. And you water the cross with the blood and the water that flowed from Jesus' side. And you water a piece of wood and that piece of wood is transformed and that piece of wood itself has transforming power. I don't remember who else besides Father Peter was there at the time, I mean, who's here today. But you remember, Father Peter, when we were in, uh, in Istanbul and we were at uh, Hagia Sophia. And well, one thing that we noted as we went into this magnificent, one of the seven wonders of the world, one thing we noticed that what had happened when the Islamic conquerors had come, what did they particularly destroy? They, they methodically and meticulously destroyed every single cross in the place. They left none. Why? Because they understood the cross was their enemy. They understood that the cross had power. They understood that the cross could defeat them. You know, it's easy to understand why a cross can defeat an army if the cross itself defeated a third of the angels because that's how a third of the angels were defeated, is it not? That was where their doom was sealed. The third of the angels that fell, how did they get conquered? I mean, St. Paul says it. He made a bold display and a public example of them triumphing, triumphing over them. How? Through the cross. So, today as we adore the cross, on the back of your bulletin, it's okay. I'd have liked it to be a little stronger, but on the little writing on the back of your bulletin, it says, the cross, the instrument of your salvation. It's an instrument. But it's a life-giving instrument. Father Nicholas, you were up here. You were talking to it. Can you imagine something so silly? Talking to a cross? That's almost as silly as throwing a piece of wood in a brackish pool, isn't it? Or holding a bronze serpent up and having people healed. And why did you talk to the cross? your father because it saves your flock you say Jesus saves the flock yes but Jesus didn't sanctify he didn't give life to a sword he didn't give life to a spear he gave life to a cross and lastly I'm going back to my little childhood song on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem, the icon. Do you know the next two, the next words of suffering and shame? Isn't it remarkable that God did not choose a sword? Isn't it remarkable I mean, for the death of his son? Isn't it remarkable that it's a symbol of humiliation, of shame? A gun isn't a symbol of shame. A sword isn't a symbol of shame. A cross is a symbol of shame. So we are going to take a symbol of shame.
for our salvation. And we're going to trust it. And we're going to believe in it. And we're going to drink of the water of life. Just as they drank of sweet water in the wilderness, just as they were healed in the wilderness, so today we are going to continue to experience our salvation through the cross which we adore.